0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the PrepWell Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Black. And if you have an 8th, 9th, or 10th grader with big aspirations like the Ivy League or military service academies like West Point, ROTC, or athletic scholarships, boom, you've come to the right place. My specialty, my superpower, if you will, is preparing families for these competitive programs. I'll teach you what your child should do, when they should do it, and how you can help. So stick around and prepare to out-prepare. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. Today we're talking about the elusive, full-ride athletic scholarship to college. Does it really exist? Who gets one? What are my kids' chances? Are all athletic scholarships created equal? What are the pros and cons of a scholarship? Is it even worth pursuing? Why does it seem that everyone knows someone who's on a full-ride scholarship somewhere? If none of your children are athletes, and you don't anticipate that any of them will ever become athletes, and you're not that interested in the nitty-gritty about college athletic scholarships, then this episode may not be for you. However, if you're the parent of a 7th, 8th, 9th, or 10th grader who's an athlete, and you're curious about what all the fuss is about, With college recruiting, and scholarships, and Operation Varsity Blues, and fake athletic profiles, and photoshopping, and full rides, then stick around. We will address all of it. My goal in this episode is to discuss how athletic scholarships work, in general, because there are a lot of exceptions out there, as we'll find out, so that you and your child can make informed decisions early enough where it matters, because one of the big takeaways spoiler alert, is that many parents unknowingly wait too long to realize that their child's dream of playing sports in college is unrealistic and not going to happen, or not in the way that they think that it would. And unfortunately, by the time this hits them, they've spent a ton of money and time and resources and energy in that direction. And oftentimes, it's crowded out a lot of other activities that their child never had an opportunity to pursue. I'd like to begin with a quick anecdote, because I think this story captures a lot of what happens to families that get sucked into this, this vortex, especially when it's their first child and they don't know any better. Here's how the conversation normally goes. And mind you, I've had this exact same conversation with parents a hundred times. If you swap out the sport and the gender of the student, it's almost a verbatim script from Central Casting. I'm going to call the dad in this little scenario here. I'm going to call him Dave. Dave opted not to enroll his daughter, Eve, in Prepple Academy's athlete program because, in his words, he has everything under control. He has a lot of time off, and he's going to be going through this process with Eve every step of the way. Fair enough. He then shared a bit about his daughter, Eve, and her prospects, and for some context, Eve is a freshman and a standout soccer player who plays at a big public high school. So here's what Eve's dad told me about her prospects as she entered freshman year of high school. So here's Dave. Hey, Phil. Thanks for giving me some time to give you the lowdown on Eve. I really appreciate it. For starters, Eve's been playing soccer since she was like five, literally five. She started kicking a soccer ball before she could walk. Phil, I'm not kidding. My wife and I joke about it all the time. We have video of it. It's crazy. My wife even said that she was a handful during her pregnancy because she was kicking and kicking and kicking and kicking. We knew we had a live one. She's played year-round club soccer since first grade, and she now plays for the Soccer's A-team. You've probably heard of the Soccer's. They're the best club team in Southern California. The coach said that he really thinks that Eve is a special talent. And I know a lot of parents must say this or believe this about their own child, but I think it's true. I mean, she really is a great athlete and a great soccer player, great field sense, great IQ. It's what she loves to do. She's been doing it her whole life. And of course, we are an all-in soccer family. And I got to tell you, I don't know if you have kids or play sports, but it seems like every single weekend we have tournaments all over the place. And I'm talking not just San Diego. We go to Vegas and Boulder and Seattle. I mean, this is crazy. This summer, we even went overseas to play teams in Italy and Brussels. Her club coach has a lot of connections over there and got the girls on the field with some very competitive teams. I must say it was a little on the expensive side, to say the least. But her coach said that that type of international experience is invaluable. Now, she's going to play varsity on the high school team, even though she's a freshman. We're very proud of that. She also has a tryout next month with ODP, you know, the Olympic development team. They saw her play this summer, and they want to give her a look to see if she can play up on the national team. Now, Eve is out of her mind about this, and, of course, very nervous about what that opportunity might lead to, because sometimes they have to leave high school. Needless to say, she has her sights set on getting a full-ride soccer scholarship to college. She's not sure where she wants to go yet, but since her grades are so great, she's got a 4.0, I'm sure she's going to have a ton of options. Okay, we're done with the role-playing for a minute. Just so you know, this is a story I hear from parents all the time about their first child, that their child has played since they're very young, and they've had a lot of success, and they're MVP of this team, and they love the game, and there's nothing else they want to do, and they play on this Wazoo Club A team, gold team, elite team, and they get tons of accolades from their coaches, and they have ambitions to play college and sports, preferably with a full-ride athletic scholarship let's talk about what happened. We're going to fast forward two years, and I'm going to talk about a little connection, interaction I had with Eve's dad at a Costco two years later. Now, this is inspired from a real story. At this point, Eve is entering her junior year, and of course, when I bumped into Dave, I was excited to see what was happening in her soccer career. So here's Dave giving me the update. He says to me, Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, about Eve. Yeah, actually, she's, uh, she's slowed down a little bit with soccer. The uh, the ODP thing didn't really work out, and you know how the politics are in these club teams. You know, they were really messing with her playing time, and she got annoyed and bummed out about that. And she's so busy with schoolwork this year. I mean, junior year, she's in these AP classes, these advanced placement classes that, I mean, are crushing her with homework. So she's pretty much put soccer on the back burner my wife and I can't believe it. We still don't know what to do with ourselves on the weekends now that we're not going to all-day tournaments three weekends a month. And Eve, frankly, is trying to get back up to speed since she really hasn't done anything but soccer for the first two years of high school and actually for the last 10 years of her life. So she feels like she's in a bit of a hole and she's trying to climb her way out. Okay. That's the end of the scenario. While not a very feel-good story, it's a very common one. Parents and children start high school really amped up because their kid has been so successful up until high school. Then they get into high school, and it's a different story oftentimes. And there are a ton of reasons why Eve's soccer career may have fizzled out like it did, and I'm going to go through a couple of them. I don't know any of these to be true, but I'm going to just go through from my experience what typically happens Eve was actually not as good as she thought she was and when she had to play against 16 and 17 year olds she just couldn't get it done. I mean there are a lot of very good female soccer players out there in the world and it's really hard to figure out if you're one of them and listening to your club coach who you pay $12,000 a year to play for may not be the most objective person to listen to. Number two maybe Eve plateaued There are many athletes who are stars when they're younger because they're either physically more mature or athletic or bigger or stronger, but then all of a sudden everybody else catches up and your son or daughter has stopped developing and they lose their edge. I don't know. Maybe that happened with Eve. Number three, Eve burned out. Maybe she just played too much as a youth and the fun was just drilled out of it. Number four, maybe Eve got distracted High school provides a lot of outlets, other than soccer. Maybe she found a boyfriend, or theater, or those AP classes, or maybe she just liked getting a breather and decided she wanted more of that freedom. Number five, Eve never reached out to any coaches or marketed herself to anyone. She sat back, waiting for coaches to contact her. She thought that because she played a lot, and played at some very... High profile tournaments on a wazoo team that coaches from around the country would notice her. She never took video of herself or created a highlight film or sent her highlights to any coaches. And the fact that no one came texting, maybe it demotivated Eve. Now, this is the one thing that really bugs me because our Prepol Academy athlete program would have walked her through every single step of the process to make sure she got the exposure she needed at just the right time. Now, she's never going to know what could have been. Number six, maybe Eve got injured. Now, she didn't actually get injured, but this happens quite a bit with students that I work with. One poorly timed injury can put an end to being a recruitable athlete. Now, there are plenty more things that could have happened to derail Eve along the way. This is just one of the key takeaways from this episode. The road to an athletic scholarship to college is full of pitfalls some in your control and some out of your control. Okay, let's switch gears for a second and take a step back and discuss why there seems to be such an obsession with sports and college and scholarships. Well, this dream is fueled in part by the prospect of securing that ever-elusive full-ride athletic scholarship. As we saw with Eve, this dream often originates, for parents especially, as early as third or fourth grade. When these young athletes are directed from the rec leagues, these are the non-competitive leagues that most kids play just for fun, into the elite travel teams or the club teams, which take basically any kid who is slightly above average for their grade. Again, these travel and club teams aren't necessarily taking the cream of the crop, as a lot of parents like to think. They typically take any kid who's slightly above average. And in the process, this practice has virtually eliminated rec leagues across the country because there aren't enough average or below average kids to even field teams. And unfortunately, once this club team train leaves the station, it is hard to get off. And just like Eve's dad described, for the next four to six years, most weekends and holidays are dedicated to the sport, no matter the cost or the travel or the time or the energy required. I've been there, no question, I've been there. In my case with lacrosse, we were an all-in family the first time around, and this beat goes on for years, with an unwavering devotion, because parents and children are equally afraid to step off that train for the fear of missing out. On what? Well, maybe a chance at that scholarship. Though rarely admitted in public, most parents mistakenly and naively assume that their child is on the path to some kind of athletic scholarship. They don't really know what this means exactly and sometimes are afraid to ask too many presumptuous questions, but they sure do hear a lot of chatter about athletic scholarships. Many think that it's it's just a matter of time for them and their child. And mind you, many parents take pride, as I did, I won't lie, in telling their friends and family that their son or daughter was selected to be on this certain club team, and that every weekend is another fancy trip to this city or that city. It's oftentimes a point of pride. starts to shape how the family actually starts to run their day-to-day operations, quite literally. And at some point, I would say in 7th grade, the sport becomes a full-time family obsession, and the money spent for uniforms and t-shirts and hats and tournament fees and league dues and equipment, personal trainers, hotels, travel, coaches' gifts is seemingly unlimited. The parents and the children are all in, and there seems to grow a maniacal, an unquestioning, and unwavering devotion to this sport. And other than this, this invisible hand that somehow, almost unwittingly, and against your will, it seems, starts to push you down this path, there are other factors that contribute to our country's obsession with youth sports and scholarships. How about overeager parents pushing their children to perform? The parents are just too into it, and we could probably think of a bunch of reasons why this might be the case parents hoping that an athletic child, quote-unquote, will ease their own regret for not being a great athlete themselves, parents hoping to recoup thousands and thousands of dollars spent on youth sports by their son or daughter earning that scholarship. Sometimes a sports scholarship is the only way to get to college for some kids, especially given the rising costs of colleges across the board. It's their only chance. That's a pretty big incentive. How about the growth of the sports performance and training industry that markets to kids and their parents about upping their game? What about the growth of club teams with names like Elite and Premier This and Select That and All-Star This? How about the elevated social status of athletes in high school and college and, of course, the pros and the social media hype surrounding Division I athletics and sports in general? These and many more play a big role in this mania. Before we jump to the pros and cons of athletic scholarships and the likelihood of getting one, let's talk about the types of scholarships available out there for boys, girls, and in different sports. For those high school athletes who aspire to earn a legitimate, full-ride athletic scholarship to college, where, for the most part, all expenses are paid, there are only a few sports which technically can offer these types of scholarships. These are called headcount sports. Why? Because a coach has a scholarship that he or she can assign to every head on the team. For instance, basketball, both men and women, is a headcount sport. Each coach is given 12 scholarships to give out to 12 players or heads on their roster. These are full scholarships assigned to individuals on the team. 12 players, 12 heads, 12 scholarships. Now, there are some exceptions of coaches who split scholarships and maybe offer you two of four years, but this is not common. And the number of scholarships will vary for sport. A football coach, for instance, football happens to be another headcount sport, they get 85 scholarships to give out because the team is so big versus basketball, which gets 12, which is a much smaller team. So you might be wondering, Which sports are headcount sports? Well, it depends on gender. For boys, there are only two headcount sports, basketball and football. That's it. Basketball and football. Not soccer, not baseball, not lacrosse, or golf, or crew. For girls, there are four headcount sports, basketball, volleyball, gymnastics, and tennis. That's it basketball, volleyball, gymnastics, and tennis. Not field hockey, not track and field, not softball, not water polo. These are the only sports where a coach has a dedicated scholarship to give to each player on the roster. Now, if you weren't aware of this, I know what you might be thinking. And for the record, I'm going to give you a little a little blurb about one dad in particular who responded when I told him this live, this was his response. So he says, Whiskey, Tango, Foxtrot, you mean I spent $80,000 on soccer for the last 10 years and dedicated every single weekend and holiday and dragged my two younger kids to all corners of the state, hoping and praying that my daughter would be good enough to earn that hallowed full-ride scholarship and you're telling me that women's soccer doesn't even offer full-ride scholarships? Pause, pause. Uh, yep. And then he continues, no, 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 this can't be true. But what about my neighbor? She said her cousin got a full-ride soccer scholarship to Stanford. And what about Bill? Bill at the office? He said his niece got a full-ride scholarship to UCLA for sailing. And Sal, Sal, my mechanic, he said his partner's daughter got a full-ride Cal Berkeley scholarship f- for field hockey. How can this be? How could they all be lying? Well, I lying might be a strong term. I might call it an innocent misunderstanding or a mistake, or maybe it's just a word issue or a semantic issue. But before we dig into what might be happening in these cases, let's talk about the other kind of athletic scholarships that can be offered at the Division One level. The other kind of scholarship is called a partial athletic scholarship, which means that a student-athlete is given a portion of a full scholarship. In other words, for some sports, instead of the ice hockey coach, for instance, being given 18 scholarships, for their 18-person roster, they may be given the equivalent, in dollars, of only nine full scholarships. And it's the coach's job to divide up those nine scholarships among the 18 players on the roster. So it's possible that each of the 18 hockey players gets a one-half scholarship. But remember, the coach doesn't have to divvy it up the same way or evenly, which is where things can get a little murky. If a coach really wants a player, he or she may commit a full scholarship's worth of money to one player on the team and effectively create a full-ride scholarship to a player on a non-headcount sport. So it's possible. This is up to the coach. Obviously, this is not common. And if he or she blows a lot of money on one player, they're just going to have less money to go around to the other players. And that, that's going to be a decision that's up to them. The sports that fall into this category are called not headcount sports, but equivalency sports. They use the term equivalency because the coach gets the equivalent of X number of scholarship dollars to do what they wish with. You might even hear of a coach getting 7.5 scholarships to divvy up. So here is where some of the confusion may enter the picture. There are some athletes out there who play equivalency sports who are effectively getting full-ride scholarships in a financial sense. They're technically not full-rides, because they aren't in a headcount sport, but that's the common language that people use, and it sounds cool, and people just like using shorthand. So the people who claim that they swear that so-and-so is getting a full-ride water polo scholarship to USC, they might be telling the truth, though they might be using the wrong terminology. If this was actually true, the reality would be that so-and-so is getting a partial scholarship that effectively covers his total room and board. But he may be the only one on the entire team getting this type of deal. So it's hard to make this a blanket statement. Maybe he's the best player in the world, and the coach decided that it was worth it to spend all the money on him or her. But the point is here that these are exceptions in the world of equivalency sports, not the norm. Part of the problem is that Sally down the street and the mechanic and Bill at the office— They don't know any better. They're just passing along what they heard, oftentimes from a third party. So all kinds of stories get out in the public with all these different players getting full rides here and full rides there in every single sport, when in reality, the number is a lot fewer And I'm sure you've heard parents claim that they're getting their son or daughter into fencing or squash or rowing or golf because they heard of some story or they read somewhere that so-and-so kid got into this school and is getting a full-ride golf scholarship. And that's what they want for their kid. You have to be very careful about who you listen to, what you read, and what you do with these kinds of stories. They may not be true, or they may be exaggerating the truth, or they may be referring to a one-in-a-million talent. No one quite knows. Full-ride scholarships are very rare in the big scheme of things. And the rub with partial scholarships is that can, they can sometimes be quite modest. I talk to a lot of parents, often privately, who tell me that their child is only getting $3,000 or $4,000 a year in athletic scholarship money. Now, that's not bad, but it's not 50 or 60,000, the equivalent of which a headcount sport player would get. Sometimes they get even less, $1,200, $1,300 a year. It depends on the sport and the coach and the other players and how good the player is and how much the player seems to need the money. But the bottom line is this. If you're a parent and you have it in your head, that all the time and energy and money that you're investing in your child's athletic career will somehow be paid back by an athletic scholarship to college, you may be in for a rude awakening. If you're spending tons of money on youth sports, thinking that there will be a positive ROI, a positive return on your investment, based on your child getting a full-ride college athletic scholarship, you're on fragile ground. It happens on the Division I level at Headcount Sports, but not very often in equivalency sports. This doesn't mean that the investment of time and energy wasn't worth it or isn't worth it. I just don't want you to assume that there will be some kind of a monetary windfall at the end of the rainbow. If, after all is said and done, your daughter gets a partial scholarship of $2,500 a year to play soccer at college XYZ, I don't want you to be surprised or mad, even if you spent $60,000 on her soccer career before she got into high school. I want you to know ahead of time that this is more likely the result than anything else. I'd also like to point out something that's very important, especially in today's day and age with the way college admissions are going. Many families are not spending the time and money on youth sports, thinking that there will be some kind of financial payoff down the road, which is smart. Instead, they are investing the time and effort in sports as a way for their child to get into a college that they wouldn't otherwise get into except for their sport. And they're very intentional about this. They're using sports as leverage to get into highly selective schools, irrespective of the money. This is a very shrewd and sometimes effective strategy. Colleges also use their selectivity as leverage to get ambitious students who don't care about money or a scholarship or financial aid. They're just happy to get in. The Ivy League schools fall into this category. The Ivy League has Division I sports, but most people know by now that they do not offer athletic scholarships. They're not allowed to. It's part of their charter. However, Ivy League schools these days are attracting a lot of high-level talent in sports because getting athletic support in admissions is one of the most direct ways to get into an Ivy League school, which is very selective. Most don't accept more than 5% of their applicants. However, Don't think that getting into an Ivy League school with sports is easy. It is not. Let's do the math. There are eight Ivy League schools, and let's say that each soccer coach has three spots per year for recruited players. This means that the soccer coach can send three names down to the admissions officer, and if those three applicants have pretty good academics, they will likely get in every year. So how many soccer players, for instance, across the world will be given admissions support By all eight Ivy League schools? Well, it's eight schools times three athletes per school equals 24 athletes. What does this mean? Well, it means that if your son or daughter isn't in the top 24 soccer players in the world on the radar of any of the Ivy League schools who are trying to get into those schools, they're not going to make it. Those are pretty rough odds. And remember, not all soccer positions are the same. If your son or daughter happens to be a soccer goalie, for instance, the odds go down even more. Most coaches recruit goalies only every two years. That means that of the 24 soccer recruits across the Ivy League, the coaches in total may only be looking for four goalies in any particular year. Is your child one of the top four goalies in the world who's trying to get recruited by an Ivy League school for soccer? That's a tough one. The Ivy League is no joke. So I think this begs the question, is it really worth it spending tens of thousands of dollars and most weekends and a majority of your time and your child's childhood chasing down that athletic scholarship, whether full or partial? Well, obviously, this is going to be a very case-specific question. Let me lay out some of the pros and cons of playing a Division I sport in college, and then you can decide whether it's worth the ride and the risk, to be honest. Because I will tell you, many families never think about this. They just blindly assume that Division I sports is the holy grail, and if their child is good enough to play at Division I level, that it would be the best thing in the world, and all their problems would be solved. Here are some obvious advantages of playing Division I sports in college. Number one, of course, there's the potential for an athletic scholarship that can save your family money, And we've spent a lot of time already talking about the likelihood of that and how much money you're talking about here. It might be the only way for a student to afford college at all. If they don't have sports, they're not going to college. It might be the only way for a student to get into a particularly selective college. We've addressed that. It provides opportunity to continue playing a sport that your son or daughter loves. That's a bonus. There's great team camaraderie and the formation of lifelong friendships. And there's prestige, and elevated status on campus that the athletes nice, like to enjoy. It could be a pathway to professional sports. It helps build a strong network of contacts, alumni contacts, that might be helpful down the road after graduation. And I've enjoyed many of these myself as a Division One athlete, as a basketball player at Yale. Many of these things held true. As you can see, there are a lot of advantages to playing Division I sports, and this is a small list. But now, here is a smaller list of lesser-known pitfalls that can happen while either pursuing Division I sports or while attending a Division I college where you're going to play sports there. For instance, Division I athletic scholarships are extremely rare in headcount and equivalency sports, so the odds are not good that your child will be good enough right off the bat. Your child's skill in high school may not translate well to college. Other athletes in the recruiting class may be better than your child. They may experience limited or no playing time. They may get a nagging injury that never heals, or a career ending injury, or an overtraining injury. Maybe the coach recruited too many players and your child gets no time, or limited time, or benched, or gets cut. What if the coach gets fired? What if the coach that recruited your child changes jobs? Happens all the time. They no longer have their advocate. What if a coach retires? What if a program is shut down or sanctioned or eliminated? What if your child is unable to major in the subject that they really want to because of the athletic schedule? What if your child's class selection is dictated by the athletic schedule? What about burnout? What if your child doesn't get along with the other players on the team? What if there's a toxic team culture in the locker room? Okay, I think you get the idea. The point here is that it's not always going to be smooth sailing. It's not always fun and games and exciting and exhilarating like all those pictures and images you see on ESPNU, there are a lot of opportunities for failure and disappointment. It doesn't mean that you have to shy away from it, necessarily, but you should be aware of some of the pitfalls that lie ahead. I'd like to wrap up this episode by discussing some telltale signs that might give you an indication that your child is not Division I or scholarship material. And when you're trying to answer these questions for yourself, it's important to be as objective as possible. I know you have a lot invested in your child. There's a lot of ego to deal with. There's sunk cost. There's guilt. You name it. Maybe you're freaked out to think that your child may not play a college sport. We've got to do this, and I'm going to do it along with you. How to know when the writing is on the wall. Here are some signs that your child is not Division I ready. And mind you, I am, as we speak, in the middle of this very assessment with one of my own four sons. In fact, let's do this. I'm going to go through these questions, these telltale signs, and I'm going to give you my answers about my own son who has Division I aspirations. Let's see how honest I can be. And yes, I have invested heavily over the last five to seven years in my own son's athletic career. And it might be tough to see where it's going to land us someday. And for context, the son I'm speaking about is a freshman in high school. So let's start with these telltale signs. Is your child slowly becoming less and less impressive compared to his or her peers, I would say yes. My son was way more impressive a few years ago than he is now. Will your child barely make the varsity team as a sophomore in high school? Well, in this case, for a number of reasons, my son will make the varsity team in the sport that he's playing um, by his sophomore year. So that's a yes. Is your child obsessively training for their sport on their own time? Uh, That's a no. Is your child studying videotape to make improvements in their game? that would be a no. Is your child in eleventh grade and had zero contacts with any division one coaches? Well, in my case, not really applicable, but because he's younger. But if we fast forwarded as we are now, I would say no. Is your child actively marketing themselves to college coaches? Well, not yet, but he seems to be making some noises in that direction. So that is TBD. Does your child have a highlight tape that they've meticulously curated? Uh, I would say yes. Does your child have a strong work ethic? Uh, I would say no. Are your child's coaches talking to you about next steps in the recruiting process? No. Is your child winning every award, the MVP, and every other special achievement in their sport? No. Are they the best on their team or their town, in the city, in their state, in the region, or the country? Well, I would say he's on a very competitive club team and I would say he's the top 3 to 4 on his team in his age group. That's it. Did your child spend the whole summer working on their game or their sport? Uh no. If you see a lot or some combination of these telltale signs, your child's dream and maybe yours of division 1 scholarship is probably over. That's okay. The sooner you find out, the better. Because remember, if they and you continue down this road, blindly committed to this sport, mostly because they've done it since age six, and it's become a habit, and it's their identity, then they will be crowding out lots of other opportunities and experiences that might be more beneficial to them in the long run. Things like academics, and schoolwork, and family time, and studying for the SAT, and joining clubs, or anything else that they've had to put on the back burner because of the constant pressure and demands of the sport. What have they been missing that they can now participate in? And the worst case scenario is that you never listen to this podcast. Your child continues to blindly plow ahead because it's what they're used to. You're too busy to pick your head up and do anything about it. And your child ends up as a senior in high school, a very good athlete, but not good enough to play in college. And they have almost nothing else to show for their time and effort. They didn't join the student government or learn an instrument, or play a different sport, or try out the school play, or give speech and debate a chance. They just didn't have the time for it. They were hyper-focused on their sport. And I'm not suggesting that there isn't time to recover, but certainly your child's worldview would be somewhat limited under this scenario when they become seniors. My suggestion is that if you have a child who projects to be a Division I athlete because they're actually that good or because they want it that bad, that you give them until the beginning of sophomore year to figure out if they have a viable chance to make it to that next level or not. If they do, then maybe you go for it with the full understanding of the potential advantages and pitfalls. If they don't, then you seriously consider ratcheting back their sports involvement and encouraging them to try different things before they get to be seniors. And of course, If you need help navigating these waters, you should enroll your ninth or 10th grader in Prepwell Academy. This is my online training program that walks your child, and you if you choose to watch, through how this process works every week. And if your child is an athlete, trying to make sense of everything I just talked about, enroll them in the athlete program, which is tailored to address all of these issues that we just discussed in this episode. Go to www.prepwellacademy.com pick your child's year, ninth or 10th grade, and program, and get started getting smarter about this process right away. Okay, that's it for today's episode, folks. Thank you for joining. I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend who might find it valuable. That's how we grow our podcast, and give us a review. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. PrepWell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads-up about what they should be thinking about to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to PrepWellAcademy.com and enroll your child today.